Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Listeners, I'm Mina Rizuki. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Tom Gibbs is off and last seen partying with Manuel Pellegrini eating three-point cakes. But fear not, for the Premier League is back and we're here to guide you through the fixture carousel. There's joy all round the east of London as in the home of Everton, the Hammers finally got their first points of the season. Does every team just need a Yarmolenko to make things right again? Meanwhile, Watford lose their winning streak, as Liverpool and Chelsea keep theirs. And who's that sneaking up the table? I see you, Bournemouth. Are they the cherry on the Premier League cake we've been missing? All that and the Champions League to preview here on AFC Telegraph. Into the studio we go and we welcome back tactics guru JJ Bull. How are you, JJ? Hello, I am good. I'm back from holiday and refreshed. We also welcome back a man who wrote a sentence on Saturday, and I quote, he never thought he'd write. Hello, Jim White. And what was that sentence? Uh, that <laughs> sentence was that I think Marouane Fellaini belongs in the Manchester United team. Ooh. And they're better with him there. <laughs> well, I think Pogba would agree with you there. <laughs> More on that later. And a new voice to AFC Telegraph and completing our J Triumvirate, its chief football correspondent, Jason Burt. Hi, Jason. Hello. I don't think that, that line from Jim's one I will ever will write. <laughs> you refuse to. <laughs> refuse to. I don't to. think he belongs there. No, certainly not. To the Premier League we go, and we still have two teams with 15 out of 15 points and looking very strong. Let's start at Wembley. Spurs 1, Liverpool 2. Not the most entertaining throughout, but Liverpool always looked like they would win. Yes, and I think it's one of those games you get after an international break, especially a 12.30 kickoff, you know, where you, people expect such a sort of spectacle, but it's never going to be, be like that. But I think we're seeing a very different Liverpool this season. They're just much more solid, much more defensively stri- strong. And I think they, they know with that front three they will score goals. So they don't have to sort of charge at teams and be so open as they were before. And I think they did a really good number on Tottenham. So they're more solid throughout. Is that based on the midfield that you think now has a little bit more balance to secure the defence? Yeah, and, and the, and the defence. I mean, I think obviously last season they got beaten 4-1 at uh, to, to Wembley by Tottenham. And if you look at that, they've got a different goalkeeper and three of the back forward difference. So it's a whole new setup really in terms of the team they've got. And as you say, the midfield as well, so much power. And also defensive solidity in that midfield, which they didn't used to have. So now they don't need to rely on the attack anymore to just bail them out of tough situations? It helped them that uh, I thought Spurs were very, very oddly poor, actually. They were really full of mistakes. That was 
uh, uh, and something I wasn't expecting. They, not only were they short on confidence and 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 movement, but they kept giving the ball away in really critical positions. Dembele especially. I thought because Dembele used to be very good at keeping it, and you can never really get the ball off him. He seems immovable. But he was passing to the wrong players. He was getting caught on the ball, which seems very odd as well. And without Loris and goal, I thought Vorm was making a lot of little tiny errors that were... Well, I thought, yeah, I thought he was at fault for both the yeah, goals. Yeah, because he tried to punch that to the set-piece goal. He tried to punch it over his own head. <laughs> and then yeah, that's not that's that's the mistake, not the rest of it that comes in. It must make a difference to the defence having a different goalkeeper in. I mean, Vorm's good, but... Oh, no, definitely. I mean, we see that with Liverpool, for example. You know, obviously well, with Alisson in there now instead of, of Carriers, the difference that's made to them. And I think you're right. I mean, I think Vorm in, in goal, he's nowhere near in the same league as, as Lloris. Jim's also right. You know, they, they they didn't look as if they had a solution to, to what Liverpool opposed them. I think they're a little bit one-paced in midfield, to be honest. You've got Winks, you've got Dembélé, you've got Dyer. There's not an awful lot of variation in that midfield. And also beyond that, there's a the whole issue of, of tiredness. I mean, so many of their players played in, in World Cup semi-finals. I know people will turn around and say, well, Romelu Lukaku did as well, and he's, he's doing much better for Manchester United. But, you know, I think a lot of the Tottenham players are suffering at the moment. Podge said in the week that he deserved praise for not signing anyone when Son was off at the Asian Games. Maybe they should have signed people just for just to counteract this whole problem with. The- I do. I do agree that the, the the best two signings they made this summer were Harry Kane signing a new contract and Poch signing his new contract. But at the same time, if you're going to be a team that progresses, I do believe also. I think Alex Ferguson always said this that you've got to refresh the team. You've got to change one or two players, or strengthen the squad, or find more depth. The argument has always been that Tottenham have got this great first eleven and they can't strengthen it without spending money they haven't got. Again, I don't quite believe that because there are players out there, and I think not to sign anyone just doesn't look quite right. It just, even if just you know you shouldn't just sign somebody for the sake of it, but not signing anyone at all doesn't look right, especially in the Premier League where you've got to keep moving forward to stand still almost. The games have been going against them as well, so they've always approached it. Generally, they've been the team that's not on the front foot, but they've been taking games to two teams, but they've been conceding quite a lot from set pieces, which then means they're behind and the, the game changes. So again, they're. They can't play in a counter-attack when they want to. They have to then take it more, which means the other team can sit back. And then they're a bit predictable in midfield. And that means they've got fewer options going forward, less avenues to create from. And then Kane's not getting service, really. He's not being able to... I mean, people are very through. critical of Harry Kane, but I yeah. actually agree with that. I don't think he's getting the service. I I mean, totally what, what chances is he getting? And people say, oh, he's, really, he's looking tired, he's looking this, he's looking that. He's not missing loads of chances. I mean, there are half chances coming away which he's not getting an end of, which he used to get on the end of before. He's not getting as many shots away as he used to. But the chances aren't there, really. What about his work rate? Because that's almost how we define Harry Kane. It's not necessarily... He just works so hard for the team, but he touched the ball 11 times and they dominated yeah. possession. But again, I think that goes to the point that Jay just made. He's not, he's not getting the ball. He's getting the ball in areas where people are swarming around him. He's too far away from the goal. I, I do accept he's not at his best. But I think he's defined by his goals, really, to be honest. Not his work rate necessarily. He does work extremely hard. Yeah, yeah. But I think course, he's defined right. by his goals. But you've got to give the guy a chance. And I think we're, people are being quite critical of him at the moment. And I think it's a bit over the top, really, to be honest. I think he's not playing badly. He's just not getting the service. What about Liverpool? They've got, like, a really tough run now. <laughs> we'll get to the Champions League later. But they've got PSG, Southampton, Chelsea in the Cup, and then Chelsea in the Premier League, Napoli, Manchester City. Will this make or break them? The thing with Liverpool under Klopp is that a lot of it is to do with momentum and uh, playing at 100% uh, what's the like ferocity, just constantly going at them to keep teams back. And when they lose a bit of momentum or something that pulls them down a couple of miles per hour, suddenly they're not as invincible and other teams can get at them as well. They've got that stronger base now, so they've, they should be better, I think, at not conceding the goals that then affect the way the rest of their games go. But you saw it with Klopp's previous teams in the Bundesliga as well. 
is when they're not going fully at it all the time, like pow, 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 they sometimes don't score. And then that becomes a problem where they can get drawn into passing around the side of a of a low-blocking team who just stops them getting at goal. But I, I, I don't think they are going at teams under mile now this season. I think they are a bit more measured in the I way that so they're, too, yeah. they're, 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 not, they're not just charging forward as much as they were. They're not really expending as much, as much energy as they used to. I think they've got that solidity. And as I say already, they, they know with that front three, they will get a chance. They will score a goal, even on the counter-attack. And there were times on Saturday when they were, they were very patient in the way they attacked. They didn't just charge at Tottenham and try and blow them away in the first 20 minutes. The managing minutes. game is much better now. Yeah, the managing game is yeah. much better. I think what, what they should draw comfort from also is, you look at something like Jordan Henderson, who's basically not really played much this season. So, so Klopp is very well aware that he's got a long campaign ahead of him. So people like him and Fabinho, who's not really featured at all, there's obviously question marks as whether or not he's finding the pace of the English game a little bit hard to adjust to in terms of training. But he's got to come into the team as well. You've got Shakiri. There's an awful lot more depth in that yeah. team than there used to be. He can change it much more than he... And he, obviously Lovren's not even played at all yet this season. So there's lots more players available to him than there were this time last year. We had to basically play the same 12 or 13 players. And also, if you are going to go into a very, very uh, condensed, difficult period of the season, it's really great to have got five wins to start with, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, the first time. Do you think that they took all their chances or do you think they were a bit wasteful? They were wasteful. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely wasteful. I think you can see from Klopp's reaction to that, yeah, they were wasteful. They missed an awful lot of chances. I think Mane was desperate to score, wasn't he? Yeah, it really looked like that. A few times when he really should have passed the ball and he was shooting when he should have passed and passed when he should have shot. So a little. they were wasteful, I think, to to, to that. And, and, And that will be an issue for them because they've got to take those opportunities because there will be other games where they won't get so many chances but at the same time you know, I think they had like 10 or 11 shots on target to Tottenham's one or two that's pretty, that's pretty impressive dominance. Are you a fan of XG, Jason? I am, actually, yeah. Good. Are you? Well, convert. I can tell oh, you. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. 3.4 to 0.9 in that game. So Liverpool should have been about three, probably four, yeah. Yeah. four ups. That kind of says, the one thing I think is really important when you talk about Liverpool is how good James Milner has become all of a sudden. Yes, <laughs> yes I agree. In the league in the field. <laughs> what yes. on earth? Well, uh, th- that's to do with not playing in the World Cup, isn't well, it? Well. It's not having a full <laughs> pre-season. But it goes back to what you were saying. He's got that option, hasn't he? He can, he can use Milner or Henderson in that in 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 the role. Well, he's got, he's, got, he's almost got two threes as well, hasn't yeah. he? I mean, he's got he's got uh, he's got the when Ronaldo's playing fantastically yeah. well, he's really reacted to the, the competition for, for places. And arguably, um, obviously, people are saying Milner's been brilliant, but arguably, Ronaldo's been the, the best midfielder so far this season. And then you've got another three midfielders to, to, to come in and take those places. And you've got Naby Keita as well. There's a huge. He, he's addressed. Uh, it's been dealt with an awful lot. But he's addressed all the problems they had last yeah, season. Really and that, and, and he, of, of all the clubs in the Premier League, they are the ones that did that. They addressed every single problem they had, dealt with it, and found a solution. And that's why they're so much stronger. It's not rocket science. You know, they are so much stronger because they plugged all the gaps. They did. But uh, a side that no one pegged would do so well is Maurizio Sarri's Chelsea. And of course, they have also started with five wins out of five. And Eden Hazard looks like a changed player under Sarri. Obviously got a hat-trick. I wonder what XG says about that, JJ. Well, that's what I haven't got up. <laughs> Hang on, let me find it. <laughs> what did you think of his performance anyway? Do you well, think he that he's superb. becoming... He genuinely looks like the brilliant player that um, he should be. I mean, he's playing Cardiff, who I think, I don't want to be awfully harsh on them, but they seem a bit like a, a joker team in the Premier League this year. Kind of doing a real bit for the fans and having a bit of fun, but they offered mostly nothing. Hazard, there was bits that Sarri was saying how He's wasting too much energy. Hazard was wasting too much energy last season, doing too much defending. And Mourinho was making him do far too much on the wing, covering the, the fullback as well. But they were playing with teams with a deeper defensive line. Saris is very high, so they can capture the ball higher up the pitch. So he gets more touches on the ball. He gets his dribble with it more. He gets to pick up the ball in better spaces and he can run with it. And he just looks so fun. 
to see on the pitch and he's got people moving around him. And It's quite interesting because when, when Conte went to, to Chelsea, he said the same thing about, about Hazard as well. He was, playing, he was coming back too much, he was defending too much. Mm. And then obviously Mourinho made him do all that and then Conte got him up the pitch and then Conte made him defend much more as well. <laughs> so I don't think that'll happen with Sarri. I think Sarri's the perfect manager for him because he'll, he's brave and he'll get him up the pitch and he'll play attacking football. I think he's absolutely right to challenge him to score 40 goals though. Mm-hmm. Because oh, he's yeah, got that absolutely. ability. Well, why shouldn't he score 40 goals? You know, I mean, he's got a hat-trick on Saturday. He takes the penalties. You know, he, he's always involved in all the goals that they score. Why shouldn't he score the 40 goals? Why shouldn't he do that? He's got to because Morata's not going to score him, is he? <laughs> no, and actually, I could also see him always playing... What about playing... Giroud? Actually, Giroud is a really... He won't really score 40 goals. He won't though. score 40 goals. <laughs> no, I honestly I would have he... more money on no, Morata. No, no, I <laughs> might he... get four. I think he, I think he is, yeah. Yeah, four. Uh, I think he is really um, good for Hazard, actually, yeah. having Giroud there. Hazard it, said that, didn't he? It, 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 it takes a bit of weight. The, the, the defences are concentrating on Giroud. He's, he's taking up positions which draws the defenders and allows Hazard to come through. Um, I really like the way that Sarri is dealing with uh, the Chelsea. You know, he, he doesn't speak great English, but he's getting better. And you can see there's a twinkle in his eye. I thought the line he said about Hazard, I thought Hazard was one of the best players in Europe. I was wrong. He is the best player in Europe. I thought that was a great, great bit of English, great bit, great bit of promoting his own player and giving him confidence. But what, what do we think about uh, the defence? We always know, like, you know, Sadi in Italian football was a guy who always loved his attacking football, vertical tiki-taka and all that. But what always worried me is that he's so gung-ho with his going forward that at times his team were not properly um, in the right positions, obviously, when they lost possession. They had to get back and into position and start defending, and then that meant that they conceded a lot. And it took him a while to find the right chemistry. Will it take him a long time with Chelsea? I think he could do, yeah. I think we saw in that Arsenal game in particular, they will give up chances against decent teams. And they haven't really played anyone else, have they, so far this season? I think lots of the teams will be looking at them thinking, we can get at that defence. You know, if they're going to go out, they're going to come at us like that, they will give us chances. And I think you're absolutely right. I think that would be one area where. I th- but I think he's prepared to pay that price. I think he, he knows what, what, what Chelsea want. They do want more entertainment, they do want yeah. more attacking football. That is something that. Abramovich has gone on for years and years and years about. He thought he had it a little bit with Ancelotti. Then he wanted to win again. Since then, it's been basically, what do we do to try and sort of win and try and be more entertaining? But at the moment, I think they just want to be entertaining. I think they just want to do well. I think they, they almost think, I think Chelsea almost think, the league's sort of gone away from us a little bit because Manchester City has spent so much money. Liverpool have invested very heavily. We just want to be in that top four and have a bit more fun for a while. And I think that's what they want to try and do this season. And I, th- I know that may sound a bit weird, but I've covered Chelsea for a number of years. And I know there's always in the fundamental in the back of their heads there's that thought that actually we do want to entertain as well. People just think my brand which wants to win. He doesn't just want to win. He wants to win with style. And he's won, but not always with style. And now he wants more style. He's desperate for that um, to create the identity, the cultural identity of Chelsea as well. And I don't know if Sarri will be the one that manages to do it for him. But it'd be nice if you associate Chelsea with that kind of football every single week. They still, still, still basically have always been the last decade Mourinho's team, yeah. effectively. Mm. It's been a variation of Mourinho's team. Ancelotti got furthest away from that with some very good attacking football, but basically it's been Mourinho's team for the last decade. Now they want to change. They want to move on a little bit more, give some of these younger players a chance and bring in other players as well and be a bit more sort of attacking and, and attractive football. What I'm really keen to discuss is, of course, West Ham. It's happened, and finally, on Manuel Pellegrini's 65th, 65th birthday, West Ham won in the Premier League, <laughs> defeated Everton. As a result, they shot up the all-important table to 16th. 
Jason, what do you think has uh, changed to have given them the edge? Well, I was there yesterday and um, went down on Friday actually to see Pellegrini. And I think the idea was, you know, kind of right about the crisis club. But I didn't really ever quite buy into that because I do accept they've, they've spent an awful lot of money and some of their buyers haven't been very good, but some have been good or have been good enough. And I think once you get Felipe Anderson playing, once you get Yarmolenko into the team, you've got Anortovic up front, and you structurally make the defence a bit better. Balbuena played very well. Declan Rice was very good in the holding midfield. Suddenly he got, he got quite a decent side there. Everton were very open. I mean, Everton played into their hands. They got caught on the counter-attack a couple of times, defended appallingly. West Ham gave them up chances. It could have, it could have gone either way, but I think, I think West Ham will be OK this season, more, no more than OK. I think it's going to be a difficult season. They've got a difficult run coming up. They've got, they've got Chelsea and Manchester United. They had to win yesterday, really, to, to stop this. And they're suddenly out of the bottom three. But I, I think it's going to take time. Any team that brings in that number of players, nine new players, it's, it's, you really are creating a bit of a problem for yourself because it never really works. Half of those players will not be there next season. I thought it was one work. It will not work. It, you know, the classic case was Tottenham a few years ago when they bought seven players with the bail money. And you're sitting there looking at it, it's too many. It's just too many players. You know, three or four is the maximum you should really buy in one summer. But they've done it. And Pellegrini said they had to do it. But I think it's going to be an up and down season for them. They bought very good players. It was just trying to turn them into a team. From a psychological aspect, they seem to be lacking the mentality to fight as one. Yeah. And, and do you think that's what's made the difference yesterday? You just saw that there was a little bit more intensity. A little I, mean, I, know, bit more... I, know, I know Mark Noble's denigrated quite a lot and he, and he is a player who perhaps isn't as, as sort of um, dynamic as he used to be. And he's not, he's not as old as people think he is. But he said he, he is the captain. He said last week they had a team meeting and a few home truths were told. Sometimes that needs to happen. You know, to, to bring the players together. They needed to do that as a group. And I think that, that obviously had its effect as well. An auto, which is quite interesting in that as well, because he's almost like a, like a vice captain now at West Ham. No, nobody ever really saw him in that sort of role in terms of his career. But he's become quite an important figure for them. And they've made him that. And Mark Noble's somebody who talks to him quite a lot. So those two players are the most important players. They held the meeting last week in which they sort of thrashed out what was going wrong. But if he's got this um, midfield, the midfield three looked so much better, didn't it? Yeah. it more, Without more Jack Wilshere. Exactly. What's going to happen to Jack Wilshere? Is no, that I think, it? I think it was a poor buy or a poor signing. I mean, they gave him a three-year contract. He's out injured with an ankle injury. They've got an assessment tomorrow. Somebody at West Ham said to me on Friday, we don't know if he's out for a week or three months. And that can't be the situation with a player like that. And they've given him a three-year deal on the back of Pellegrini recommendation. The club only wanted to give him 12 months. But obviously, Wilshere would not agree to that. But I don't think it's a signing they needed. I really don't think that was the right the plan. the balance no. of that team whatsoever. No, not at all. They no. were so much better with Rice and that holding role dropping into the three made a lot of a difference to them. And the way that Pellegrini set up meant they, I think they, they had numbers over Everton every single part of the pitch. So Everton had that midfield two. Yeah. So then West Ham had a three basically coming forward because Sigurdsson never dropped. And Walcott's basically a striker on the wing who doesn't really do an awful lot. I thought Everton were really poor defensively as well. Holgate was all over the yeah. place, yeah. just getting dragged out of position. And then Zuma is not really great at getting the defence... Together as what was unit. interesting is Marco Silva changed it before half time. Mm. It was like 44 minutes. Mm. He bought on Bernard, he took off um, Schneiderlin, and he changed the system. You're thinking that's, that's a minute to go to half time. You don't see that very often that a manager waits that late to do it, or he just, you think he'd at least leave it one more minute. And they scored. So obviously he had the immediate dividend of that. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. They were, they were being overrun all over the pitch. The shape wasn't right. And I'd be a little bit worried about them because I think, again, we talk about you know, buying lots of players. They bought a lot of players again. A lot of them haven't featured yet. 
Marco Silva will continue to go for it. So he's not going to he's not going to be sort of defensively sort of you know think we'll just be kind of solid and try not to try not to lose games. So I think they could they could have some up and down results as well the next few weeks. But they, they, I mean they're really lacking in in defenders, aren't they? At the moment, I mean Mina's not because played. of injuries. Uh, yeah. Jagielka's not there. Keane's not there. Yeah. So you know that is a, a big big losses for. Yeah, them, yeah. You could say you could say almost like the, the, first the whole choice, back four was gone. first choice back four apart from Lucas Dean is is not playing basically. What do you, do you think they were too dependent on Richardson in the start of the? Yeah, he's been a bit. He, he he's been a big loss uh, yeah. for them this season. As, as, sorry, uh, are they reliant on him then? now? Well, I, I think they need him back. Whether they're reliant, I mean, he's he's only played a couple of games for him. You can't start pinning all your hopes on someone after a couple of I games. I think they are reliant on him. Yeah. Oh, you are <laughs> pinning all your hopes. You I are mean, already they, pinning they, all they, their they hopes. Pay, they pay massively over the odds for him from Watford, but that's because. They wanted to do the deal. Obviously, we knew that Marco Silva really backed the player. The player really liked Marco Silva. He comes into the team, he scores some goals. Suddenly, he is their talisman. He is their main player. Yeah. And without him, they're not the same. They haven't got the same dynamism. I'm not sure about Cenk Tosin at all. Uh, I, mean, I think he's okay, but he misses chances. He missed a lot of chances yesterday. That was exactly. a clear spell. Apparently, um, he came and Allardyce was there. And Allardyce didn't even sanction him either. It was just brought in by the... I think they were just club. desperate to get somebody in, weren't they? They needed a striker. I mean, I think when, yeah. when he scores goals, Sam Allardyce says he's my play, he was my player and when he doesn't score goals, he probably says he wasn't his player. I know in match the day two, they were talking about how having spent all that money, Everton still don't have a, a world-class striker, but there's not really... Well, it's easier said than done, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. <laughs> it's so easy to say. Like, who do you I'm buy? And how many world? Oh, Batch Tutor. I'll get him in. You know, there's, there's no one going <laughs> this around. This is what I mean. How many world class stars? So Everton have to buy players who are in that middle bracket, hoping they improve, so they see room for potential. So there's a player with room for growth. It makes sense to invest a bit of money into them. And Charlison, well, he can he can play in the nine, really. You know, he's a bit of a winger, but they've got that option. Tosin was missing chances, but once. He hits the back of the net a few times. It'll yeah. You think it will come a bit I more. Think they, I think they had quite a good summer. To be fair, they had a clear out. They, they bought reasonably well. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's going to take. Yeah, yeah, it's going to take a while. They've obviously got a new director of football there, in Marcel Brands. I think he's working very well with Marco Silva. It's going to take time. To be fair to them, I think. I think even West Ham and the Everton owners realised that as well. I think when we last summer they were being a bit impatient, thinking we've got it. We spent all this money, bought all these players. We need to be up the table. I think now they realise it's going to be. It's going to be a longer term. Project. You know, when we speak of like world class strikers, would we class uh, Romelu Lukaku as one? United defeated Watford 2 1. And uh, it was just a different uh, performance from Jose Mourinho's side. I don't think anyone necessarily saw that coming. Watford looked perfect in terms of footballing beauty, but sadly came a little bit unstuck. So, what's the difference between this Manchester United squad? And the team which lost to Brighton. It's Fellaini. <laughs> it is Fellaini. <laughs> it's, it's the balance of midfield. It's perfect. So he's playing as a six now and he's got his head tuned in to where the rest of the team is. Always looking. He knows exactly where uh, the players in the pitch are and he's covering spaces. So this Mourinho... an extra man though. I mean, isn't that what it is more than anything? No, I don't think so. So they've still got the, the back four. Uh, Fellaini's playing as a six and Matic sort of dovetails with him sometimes we need to come back. So they've got that. That means Pogba has support and a bit of... Um, defensive structure behind him to do more of his stuff which means the other forwards can do a bit more Alexis Sanchez can stay a bit more forward and all that kind of noise but what you saw a lot in that game was that Fellini was dropping back to fill holes so Lindelof just gets <laughs> he's you know like a dog chasing a crisp packet he sees someone going over to the wing so he follows him instantly and he should really be holding his position and that should be the left back that follows the guy going into that side of the pitch but as soon as Lindelof was doing that you had uh, Fellaini mostly was dropping into that hole and then when he came back across Fellaini was going into the, the sixth space to watch normally I think it was Will Hughes was dropping into yeah. that bit there he was great um, I love Ducouré at Watford I think he's such Ducure, a good player Ducouré had a superb second half yeah. but the first half 
he was slightly put on his on his heels a bit. I thought that was the difference for Watford. He came into the game and was really driving him forward. He, he was he was absolutely terrific. I mean, there was a moment very very early on where you saw how important Fellaini was at United. Troy Deeney, whose basically purpose is to tear holes in opposition defences. Um, there was an early moment where he came up against Lindelof and he just grabbed Lindelof by the collar and kind of held him up like that and then let him go. Next moment, he had Fellaini alongside him. And I think this kind of enforcer role has really brought a little bit of stability to a very porous central defence for United. But also, the other thing about Fellaini is he doesn't give the ball away. He passes it really nicely. He's He's, he's, He's very, very efficient and and actually he actually looks less awkward than he did before i mean he still causes problems in the opposition area with yeah. his elbows but he seems to have he's no longer a yellow card waiting to happen it's like he's been coached like Mourinho's done some coaching Finally. and got him to play <laughs> as a he's, he, he, he no, plays within his uh, you're not having any of this your face is saying but i saw him i saw him play for belgium against brazil in the quarterfinal of the World Cup, and he, he was playing like he played for United. The, 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 on only, point, the only point I, I'd make about Fellaini is that, that I can't believe it's taken until now to play him in that know. role. Yeah, that is the seems to me thing. the obvious thing to he should have played there the whole, his Do you whole know career. What? Yeah. So another thing Leon Osman was saying was that um, when he played with him at Everton, they wanted him to play that role, but he That's was true. untidy on the ball and he kept giving it away and That's giving true. free kicks away. So yeah. they get oh get to their side of the pitch where you're less of a nuisance to us at the back, and that's when he was doing scoring his goals as a ten for Everton. But now he seems to be wisened up and coached and. Plays within his limits. I think I'm right in saying that he wants to play in that role as well, bizarrely, right, okay. even though he gives the ball away or has <laughs> done in the past. And because he's quite a good athlete and gets up and down the pitch and he's good in the air, they've they tended to use him in a more, as a more sort of effective, like, super sub or something. That's happened quite a lot. But I think when David Moyes bought him, I think I'm right in saying that he thought about playing. That was the role he wanted him to play, but it's taken him until now to get in the team playing that role. But I, to my mind, that's, that's, his, that's the best position for him. It always has been. Yeah, I think there's um, a bit of trouble for this boy, Fred, who, yeah. I, who I've already forgotten who he is. £52 million pounds yeah. for someone who doesn't even get on for the last five minutes. I mean, he brought Scott McTominay on uh, on Saturday. And, and Mourinho seems to have gone completely for the basketball team. Everyone's about <laughs> seven foot tall on that team. No, seriously, there are more than six players on his starting eleven who are over six foot three. Yeah. That is an extraordinary statistic. Garcia was uh, uh, big on that when he was. And obviously, Fred is only five foot five, so he's got no chance, has he? <laughs> so, what was the point of buying him? Can you explain what the point of buying him was? I'm sure in a couple of months' time, we'll be getting stories saying he wasn't the Mourinho signing, but um, I think he was. It was the Sam Allardyce <laughs> signing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's nice to know that Mourinho is finally uh, teaching his team what to do and how they can win games. What about Arsenal, though? What do we think of uh, Unai Emery's, um, well, let's say his teaching of Arsenal, trying to get them to play out from the back? But Lucas Torreira, the difference in midfield? Yeah, and I think there's a growing frustration amongst the Arsenal fans that he's not starting games, you know, because every time he comes on, he seems, to ma- he seems to make that difference. It may, may be that, again, he's being sort of eased in because... Emery might think it might take him a while to get to the pace of the Premier League and he can't last 19 minutes. But certainly, as we all suspected, he makes a difference You know, when he comes into that, that team. I think the big thing with Emery is it's going to take two or three transfer windows to sort out this Arsenal squad because they haven't got the money. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've spent an awful lot of money under Wenger. You know, the last couple of years of Wenger, he spent a lot of money. After having all this austerity for a, a decade, he suddenly thought, oh, I'll just go out on a spending spree. And he spent an awful lot of money the last, last couple of windows. So they're going to have to pay a price for that. It's going to take a while to sort it out. And I think the defence, again... You look at that defence, you think it's probably not the defence that he wants. 
you know, ultimately, he's going to have to change most of those it's not players. Not defence anyone wants. <laughs> but, but, but going forward, there are so many. <laughs> but the midfield is also a huge issue. I mean, barring Torreira, I, I, you, they have good players, but I don't think they understand how to. Well, nav- there's a culture in that club and that team, and I think that's the thing that'll take longest is to get rid of this sort of Wenger influence over what's in that team, especially players like Aaron Ramsey and the boys who bomb forward all of the time. And Emery will fix that. But it'll take time, coaching maybe new players. I agree with Torreira. He he looks very good when he comes on. I wonder whether he's waiting for a, like a League Cup game before he puts Leno in goal and then he'll excel and then he can go, yes. well, now I can play him instead of Czech. Because <laughs> it's, otherwise it's harsh and Czech, isn't part, it? Part, you... part of me quite likes the way that Emery's done it and that he's given people chances. You know, he's yeah. given them... You know, it's you, observing, I, yeah. yeah I, I want you to play this way. Show me if you can play this way or not. So I, I, I think, to be fair to him... He's given the players the opportunity to, to, to sort of do what he wants them to do, you know. And if they can't do it, hopefully we'll move on. Hopefully that shows he's got confidence that this is a longer term plan. That the, the club are going to back him over the longer term. I think they will. I don't think Arsenal expect anything. Beyond, they hope to finish top four this season, but they kind of feel that maybe they might not do it anyway. And hopefully they'll go deep into the Europa League because we all know that Unai Emery is a specialist in that competition. I think that's probably what they're banking on a little bit. Probably a bit too much. But I think it's going to take a long time. But I think, again, mainly because the money's not there. They, they, they're not going to go out and spend loads of money. So he has to work with what he's got. I want to step out of the top four just because I think we need to discuss a coach who is doing a tremendous job. Bournemouth are in fifth place. Is this because of Eddie Howe? Yes. Yeah, sorry. Yes. <laughs> Jim, Jim's going to say no. I'm not no. going to say no. <laughs> it's his Fellini, yeah. Well, clearly Eddie Howe has done a ridiculously brilliant job at Bournemouth, having taken them up from the two all the way up. He's you know going away and come back. He's made them into a, a real team. There's a right. I keep referring to the culture of the club, but it's perfect there. They're all good characters. They're all very organised. They play well. It's a lot of pace in the team. Ryan Fraser is absolutely phenomenal, and um. I was talking to someone who uh, worked in the National League show at, at BT Sport and he was telling me how Eddie Howe took a real interest in Ryan Fraser as soon as he signed him and was just coaching him through everything. Because he signed from Aberdeen when he was a young boy. And he was a good player at Aberdeen when he was there, about 400 grand he signed for. Apparently he was eating nonsense. He was uh, just not really quite as driven to in training as he should be. And how he was taking him through every step and he was phoning him every day, saying, what did you have for breakfast today? What was that? Was it okay? Well, you should be eating this instead. And now look at him. He was... Absolutely magic against uh, yeah Leicester. And the, the way he <laughs> surged past Morgan, it looked like Morgan was in slow motion, trying to get close to him. Maguire couldn't get close. Oh, I, mean, I, th- I think he's done an exceptional job. He's, he's the longest serving manager in the, in the Premier League. Mm. He's, he's still, I think he's still the youngest manager in the, in, the, in the Premier League. I think six of the players in the match day squad for the first start of the season were in League One with him. The one criticism is he doesn't always buy particularly well. I think that's partly because he worked to a budget, to be fair to him. Yeah. But you cannot criticise either him Bournemouth in the way they've done things and also the style of football because they play decent football they give it a go there was a match of the day a couple of years ago where he got he got they got beaten by Tottenham and the pundits absolutely tore Bournemouth apart so you can't play like this you can't play out in the way they were doing it's far too open and I thought what will, what will Eddie Howe do and what he did was he carried on playing that way because what he said afterwards and I spoke to him about it was okay we will lose some games but we will win more games playing the way I want to do rather than just grinding out some draws I want to win games and, you go, and that's what they do. They go, they go on these streaks of maybe having three or four bad results, but then they win three or four, and suddenly they're way up the table. So I mean, I, I'm being massively impressed by him. It's quite funny. I was thinking about doing a column on Eddie Howe today, but I think the one he's in the Champions League. But I, that I was thinking about it. All, all, all people ever write about Eddie Howe is why is he never linked to a top job? That's the only thing. <laughs> but may, so maybe may, it's listen, time. maybe he's just happy at Bournemouth. You know, they, they're going to try and build a new stadium and build a new training ground. I could see him be the next England manager down the line I think he's aware of that you know whenever Southgate goes I, I would be amazed if they don't go for Eddie Howe now 
and I'd be amazed if he didn't take it. But I think he wants to build a new stadium and wants to build a new training ground before he leaves Bournemouth. He can do. He can build on what he's already got there as well. And so few managers will ever have that chance again. Exactly. To, to build on top of it. So if you have the the what's foundations already in place. And um, I totally agree with the style of play. That's the thing. They have control of the games that they're playing. So if they lose, it's mainly a mistake or something yeah. that's not, you know, that they can't really have control of. But the game is not just them sitting back, hoping to get a set-piece goal, like so many teams that will get relegated. And they're fun to watch. Yeah. And it just makes it more entertaining. And I wish all those teams that come up would do it. You can uh, do it. I, th- I think he's been blessed this season in that he's finally got Callum Wilson fit because I think yeah. he's a player who fits all of his coaching criteria. And yet he's been injured for so long. And if you actually watch the way Wilson played alongside Fraser, that was absolutely everything that uh, Eddie Howe wants. I mean, his intelligence is running, passing. He's a, he's a terrific player, uh, Wilson. And he's yeah. basically not had him for about four years, has he? <laughs> and as well, when you have players at the same club for a long time who have a similar way of thinking on the pitch and they play with each other every day in training, they're naturally just going to have a little bit of an advantage over other players who come in from, you know, yeah. League X and League Y and they come together and there's just there's no chemistry. And the chemistry yeah. is something that is incredibly hard to get right. So few managers can do it. But how has created that running through the entire of the club? You can see that everyone knows the position. Having players like Adam Smith playing Premier League games and doing well, I mean, that's a good coach. It's very hard. I can't see many... Coaches relying on that. They want to bring in new players to replace their right back who wasn't doing precisely well coming in. So it's a good coach, a good attacking trio. You're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts. We're going to do what Jason's doing with his column, which is throwing away Bournemouth. (laughs) And choosing the Champions League instead. Um, it's going to be ideas so right. <laughs> it's going to either be at 8pm, the matches, or 5.55, bizarrely. But we have to start with Liverpool PSG because surely that is the tantalising fixture to open everything up. What do we think about that? Will Liverpool start as they mean to go on or PSG finally do well in the Champions League? Well, that's the big question for PSG, isn't it? Jason knows the club very well. They, they, they've been ambitious to do well in this competition for so long, yeah, they really do have to start pulling it out. And what a terrible place to have to start this season <laughs> at Anfield. With I mean, a horrible I, group. You know, I think they're looking forward to it. Oh, do you think? Yeah, 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 yeah. They're looking forward to it. I think they've got that front three. And it's the best two front threes in the world, isn't it? Against yeah. each other in one game, in a group stage. I think they're probably thinking, look, we'll either win the group or finish second. And why not? Why don't we go to Liverpool and try and win? And then we'll see, we'll see what the rest of Europe think of that. Well, we know that Liverpool's probably going to prefer winning the Premier League over this. So do we think that they're going to go all out when it comes to Europe or focus more and their energy on the Premier League? I think they'll go all out. Yeah, they, they, will, they yeah. love it. And especially it's, it's kind it's of ingrained in the club, isn't it? Yeah. They have to. And also they, and they always play on the Anfield atmosphere on the European nights and they get a little bit of a boost from that. And it's very important. I need the money from Champions League football. Yes. They need it. Yeah, and, uh, and there's also a sense uh, that... Uh, of kind of being thwarted last season. They've got the right, the wrongs of last season. Yeah. The, the, the sense that they, they got so far and then were 
were defeated by Ramos's dirty play and so on. That is really a, a motivational drive for them. And, and as Jason was saying Ramos earlier, for the entire thing? <laughs> I'm blaming Ramos for everything. <laughs> uh, I'm blaming Ramos for the fact Great Your Western Railway can't get me into uh, the studio on time. But no, uh, <laughs> as J- Jason was saying, I don't, I don't, I don't really see why uh, Champions League is going to be a distraction for Liverpool. They've got, they've got the resources now got uh, the to go on two fronts. I, I don't know what Gary Neville meant when he said kick it into touch because I mean how do you, would you how do you kick the Champions League into touch yeah, that's what, 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 what does that mean exactly. I mean that's a really weird phrase, phrase to use because I mean obviously especially a club like Liverpool have won the European Cup five times I mean you, you can't do that can you and that's oh. partly why we talk about why they strengthen the squad so much because they're going to go for it on both fronts well, yeah, the they one should that, be able to I don't understand why they wouldn't they definitely have the depth to do it Ah, they've got good players there and they can rest a couple of them they can just rest one here and play another there they've got players I think they have to go for both they have to go for all competitions. Well, especially in September. Yeah, I know. They've got, they've got, like, they just rest a couple of them, send one on holiday for a week. They'll be okay. <laughs> what about Inter Spurs? That's the one that I'm looking forward to, obviously, because of the Italian connection. We know that uh, Inter actually lost to Padma this weekend. They are shambolic in every way, shape or form. <laughs> they were supposed to be what we call the anti-Juve, the team that was supposed to be challenging Juventus for the title. But they have been nothing short of abysmal recently. Spurs, though, not looking too hot themselves. <laughs> yes, it's it's the opposite of Liverpool against PSG, isn't it? <laughs> in terms of touch, form, yeah. yeah. Uh, in terms of form. Um, I think Spurs would fancy it, actually. Yeah. I think Spurs think they might do a job. I think they need to get a reaction after the weekend. I think Inter reckon well. so, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think they need to get a reaction after the weekend. I don't think Pochettino will have accepted that, that performance against Liverpool, the result against Liverpool following on from Watford. So it's a very important game for Tottenham in terms of getting a reaction. They tended to do quite well, you know, in these sort of games, this type of game in the past under Pochettino where you look at it and think, actually, that they'll do well to come away for, with a draw or something. I, I, I think they'll get a result in Milan. Do we predict that City will beat Lyon and that Manchester United will beat Young Boys? Or is there a potential that young boys will do something Young special? boys, man, you'll be really boring to watch. <laughs> yes, that's, be, that's the so one no one's watching that one. We can safely say. Nil-nil, one-nil in the 71st minute. Uh, Fellini header from a corner. Uh, yeah, Man City should probably... You'd expect them to win against Lyon. They have better players and they are managed by a superb manager and they're playing well and their ambitions are Champions League. Yeah, what was interesting at the weekend was obviously they, they, they beat Fulham very convincingly. And we were all thinking, like, hey, here, here they go, they're off after their international break, they're up and running again. Putney Guardiola was so unhappy with them, they brought them in for extra training yesterday. So that's a bit frightening for everyone else, isn't it? So, <laughs> I mean, I think, again, we'll probably see a reaction to that because he clearly wasn't happy. He thinks they're far too wasteful at the moment. They're being a bit complacent in the way they're playing. And they're not as they're not as efficient as they were last season. So yeah, but far. Fulham's defending as well. I mean, talk about giving them all the space and well, exactly. The but but if you, but then then you'd expect to hit six or seven, wouldn't you? Yes, if, you that know, is that's, true. That's, that's probably what you're saying to them. You know, and, yeah. and I know, I know, it's been the big issue for him. As many goals as they've scored and brilliant as they've been, he is constantly battering them about missing chances. It's the one thing he goes on and on and on and on about. I mean, people say Aguero scores so many goals, but Guardiola will come back and say, yes, but he misses chances. Sterling misses chances, but he missed too many chances. It's a killer instinct. And they might, this sounds very, very um, naive, but they might be a bit too nice, some of the players, when you're 3-0 up and you're kind of coasting. So the best teams will keep going and really try and yeah. strangle them to death, you know, really get them done. Again, XG in that Man City-Fulham game is 5 to 0.4. So they've only scored three goals, should be five, or somewhere close to at least four. And that is the kind of thing where they... Don't take chances in future games. Sure enough, so imagine like Fulham just went on a, a mental run in the last 10 minutes and pulled three back. It's happened before, yeah. and that's them dropped two points. Well, that's their defending that needs to be looked at. 
Do you know who isn't wasteful though? Ronaldo finally got two goals. And <laughs> and one. It's Juventus Weekly with Mina. <laughs> it was Juventus Weekly with Mina. But they do face Valencia. We imagine it'd be between them and United to win that group, right? Yeah, Valencia, I think everyone thought Valencia were a bit of a dark horses for this group, but they started the season pretty badly, haven't yeah, they? They've had they a pretty poor start. The, but they've got a good team, though, I think. And yeah, a great I mean, coach in Marcelino. I mean, I'd have thought Juventus would win the group, Man United would finish second. Real Madrid, Roma, that's an interesting one. Did yeah. you take it? I, again, I've, I've not seen enough of Real Madrid to know how they're they're playing, but they seem to be doing just fine, just getting into what Le Petit wants to do. They look like a doing. team. Like yeah, a proper, they're quite balanced. Uh, and Benzema well. can finally actually score goals without just facilitating anyone else. Yeah, I've not seen enough of Roma, so I can't possibly see. You'd know far more about Roma than... I would. What do you think of Roma, Mina? Shambolic, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. I, mean, they, I mean, you know what it is? They've changed their fitness regime, so they're, they're training differently because they thought, oh, let's try to avoid the drop in January. So the drops come now. You never know. They always tend to start quite uh, poorly anyway under De- Eusebio Di Francesco. This happened last season, and then they pick up. So when you have Dzeko, you always have a chance. In Are they missing opinion. England in the... Nangoland. Yeah, and they're missing Struman too, to be honest, who they sold to Marseille. So ah. They don't have the midfield that they have. It's also so many new so many new players, so it's it takes a while to create a cohesive unit. But you know what, JJ, what I'd like to know is what the cleverest moment of the weekend was. Uh, the cleverest moment, or um, whatever we want to call it for the week, was in the Wolves game, which they won 1-0 against Burnley. They absolutely battered Burnley throughout and just couldn't seem to score. They were missing lots of chances. But then Matt Doherty... And one of the few non-Portuguese players on the pitch, his run for the goal made it. It was superb. So he plays in the as a right wing back in that shape. So it's kind of a three-four-three. That it changes depending on the phase of play. Obviously, the way they scored is it's about the sixty-something minute. I can't remember which one exactly it was. It doesn't really matter. But uh, Ruben Neves, who we talked about a lot on this podcast, has been fantastic this season. He passes for diagonally out to Helder Costa on wide right. So he's uh, basically an inside forward playing in in this in the forward three for Wolves. But he pulls out to wide right, and that means there's a lane inside the pitch for Doherty to run into, and he keeps going inside the pitch this season. So as soon as Neves passes forward, Burnley are defending in a 4-4-1-1, two banks of four, and they're about five yards off the 18-yard 18-yard line. And there's about 10 yards between the midfield and the defence, which is too much. So as soon as that pass is made, Costa pulls out. Doherty knows it's a trigger. He runs inside. He's tracked, but not well enough by the midfielder for Burnley. The left-back, Taylor, is pulled out to Mark Costa and their space. He gets in, and that's the first time they've really pulled that bit of Burnley apart. Pulls it across first time. And then uh, Raul Jimenez's shot into the, the far corner is lovely and opens the game up. And that's all he needed was the one goal. Decided it. Would we be surprised if uh, Wolves finished in the top eight? No, they've got a great team. They signed really well. A good coach. The shape's good. I love the way they play. It's very fluid. Everyone knows what they're meant to be doing. What was their XG against Burnley? They should have won about 7-0, shouldn't they? Uh, 2.6 to 0.2. Well, only 2.6? So yeah. I thought it'd be higher than that. Well, lots of shots in the middle because they're obviously wing-backs. They're putting a lot of crosses into the middle. And the Neves and Moutinho float about in the middle of midfield, keeping that bit safe. Um, Burnley, I really think, are in a bit of trouble this season. It's very um, 4-4-2, hit it forward, look for set pieces, and it, when it doesn't work, you you lose confidence, then you lose a drive, then it falls apart. Well, they won, they, they won an awful lot of games last season, 1-0, which you wouldn't expect to carry on this season. I mean, I yeah. think if you look at the, if you analyse the stats on that, they, they were not fortunate, but it, it kind of went in their favour last season. It doesn't tend to carry on into a second season when that happens. I think you're right. I think they've got a really difficult season ahead of them and they may well be down the bottom for quite a long time. Yeah, I think they'll get out of it eventually, but I think it's going to be a tough one for them. Enough with the negative <laughs> on all the different football teams. But Burnley perhaps 
perhaps might stay up there. But we'd like to say commendation to Manchester City for letting sisters Vera Cohen and Olga Hannan lead the team out. Lots of City fans say they remember the bad old days, but these two really do. 102-year-old Vera Cohen and sister 97-year-old Olga Hannan are the club's mascots today. I think we've all been given new goals in life to aim for. But our brilliant scene this week goes to a man who is regularly in this part of the podcast and with good reason. On Saturday night, Zlatan scored his 500th goal in style. Here's Dos Santos. Lifts it into the area. Ibra scores! That is number 500 for Zlatan Ibrahimovic. And only he can get to 500 in that way. It is not bad, yes. He said afterwards, I'm happy for Toronto because they'll be remembered as my 500th victim. Brutal. What's the best goal you've ever seen live? I saw him um, <laughs> predict that mine's going to be from Scotland. I did see Pedro scoring overhead kick against Real Sociedad. That was nice. Um, but I tend not to get to see many live games. It kind of sucks. However, I saw Darren Mackey. Does anyone know Darren Mackey? Played for Aberdeen for years. He was... Uh, he was Stony Silence. <laughs> oh, Darren Mackey. Oh, yes. <laughs> he just... Uh, I'll make it very short. It was against Motherwell and he just pinged the ball from out of nowhere, 30 yards through someone's leg and it hit the top corner. I just couldn't believe it. I've never seen him do anything like it again or before. I don't think he ever... I don't think he knew what he was doing particularly. It was wonderful. Oh, what a bounce that was. It was great. Who can who can live up to that? Who can live up to Mackey's goal? Oh, the the, <laughs> the best the, one of the best goals. Now I think the best goal I've ever seen was Paul's goals in the semi final of the uh, Champions League against mm. Barcelona, oh, yeah, and that, that was uh, that was this was that two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, one of those. I don't know if it was the best goal I ever saw, but it was definitely got the best reaction. That was 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 Latan's goal against uh, England in, oh. in the friendly, where I was there for oh. that, and the reaction inside the stadium was everyone started laughing. Because <laughs> it was just like a ridiculous goal. Yeah. I mean, it was just, and it's such a big guy as well. And he just, the way he did it, and you're just thinking, no. And it's, it's, everyone's just started laughing inside the stadium. So, no, that was probably the most uh, memorable goal I've seen. You were at the Champions League final as well, weren't you? Yeah. So, yeah, Bales. What was that? No, the, the one before, sorry, two seasons ago when oh. Sergio Roberto, oh, sorry, not, not the final. The, um, remember when uh, Barca came back oh. from PSG? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I remember I, was, uh, I did a live blog oh, for him. I was going one. nuts. Yeah. I was going, it, was it was quite a funny game, that, because obviously I was going to do the game, and the, the, the paper said to me, oh, don't, don't bother going, the tie's over. And I just said, look, there's always a chance. They always do might that. <laughs> exactly. And I think, and there weren't many of us there in terms of British paper sending, but no, that, that was incredible. But um, it was it was a really weird game because obviously they, they got back into it. Then didn't have any scored, and then there was a long period where nothing really happened. Yeah. And then suddenly that flurry of goals. And as you say, when that happened, you got that blind panic of writing. Was thinking, I wish I could just enjoy this for once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because behind the scenes, for people who aren't football writers, you have a match report ready to go at the final whistle. But if Sergio Roberto scores in the last second of the Champions League semi-final, was it? Yeah. It was a quarter. It was a quarter final. I, I just. I remember, th- I remember thinking in the back of my head they're going to do this. I remember thinking. I think when Neymar scored the free kick, I might. Si have been. Se puede. I remember thinking they're going to do this, and then I, was, I had it almost in my head that this is gonna, it was going to happen because it still felt like quite a long time to go. But as you say, you have that blind panic, and there's a like, stony silence in the in the press room. Obviously, a lot of the Barcelona fans amongst the journalists are celebrating. But the rest was going. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 15 minutes to change your entire narrative and the thing. Yeah, I know, but it was oh. one of the most memorable nights I've ever reported upon, so I was very lucky to be there. So. Oh, God, it was one of the most memorable nights in football. But that's all from this week's Telegraph Audio Football Club. Thank you to my guests, and please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Search for Telegraph Audio Football Club online and hit the subscribe button. 
and please leave a review whilst you're there too. Thanks to Abby Patterson and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.